welcome everyone to episode 10 of season four of the award-nominated Northern Spin podcast. I'm Michael Taylor by day. I'm the editor of Business Desk in the Northwest. And here's my happy, clappy co-presenter, Chris McGuire, who is still celebrating our nomination in Elevate's Top 50 Northern Game Changers Awards, the only podcast in the awards. No, thank you very much, Michael. Yeah, and uh, you're celebrating doing your three Sudoku challenges in 25 minutes, the first time for a long time. Um, so congratulations to you, Michael. I'm the executive editor of Business Cloud and Tech Blast, and we're joined in the studio this week by a very, very special guest. If you're watching this on YouTube, this build-up will be lost on you. I think it's vital that journalists hold our politicians to account. I've gone on record as saying that this mystery guest is doing a terrific job, in my humble opinion, and I'm not the only one. Now, I didn't think our special guest could go any higher in Michael's estimation, because he's a big fan, um, but I read last week that his other hero, succession actor, Brian Cox, Acker, Logan Roy, described our mystery guest, and I quote, the perfect leader of the Labour Party. So, Michael, in your best Logan Roy accent, please introduce our special guest. Chris, you are not serious people. Can I just say, we practiced that before and he used the F word four times <laughs> and we decided he couldn't. So, welcome, Andy Burnham. Thank you, Chris. So, you, Andy, we, it's great to have you here with us. I thought you might be wearing leopard print, given Lee's success at the weekend. Well, everyone else was at yeah. uh, the Halliwell Jones. The sellers of leopard print uh, uh, clothing on Lee Market are doing a roaring trade with the, uh, the rebrand uh, of, of Lee Rugby League Club. So, no, it was an amazing thing, actually. I never, ever thought in my life I would see Lee get to a Challenge Cup final, yeah. but here we are. Big day out at Wembley ahead, then. Big day out ahead, yeah. It could have been Lee Wigan. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine yeah. if it had been Lee Wigan, but Lee Wigan got uh, knocked yep. out yesterday. But Hull KR, obviously, anyway, this is not the Northern Spin Sporting Podcast. It is a politics podcast. It's all about looking at politics and the news through a Northern lens, something obviously very close to all of our hearts. There's loads that we could talk to you about, sport included, but we want to give you our, give our thousands, yes, thousands of listeners some continuity. So we're going to stick to our usual format. So it's what's in the news. We're going to go to a quick break. We've got our section called Anything to See Here, looking at things like the recent by-elections. And we've also got a section that you pop in, pop up in from time to time called On Manoeuvres. Along with Ben Blocker-Houchin here. Me, On Manoeuvres? Yeah. Surely not. <laughs> so they say. And then finally, as a fellow northerner, you like this, we sign off with a, what we call the fun bit, where we try and educate this southern scruff on some aspects of northern culture, which quite rightly could turn up to cricket, something which is actually close to both of your hearts. Um, what else do we want to talk about, Chris? We've got... We're going to talk about Gillian Keegan and the um, M. Bacaloy, which you're passionate about, the university rip-off the station ticket office fiasco, and we're also going to talk a little bit about religion and their visit that you did to the Vatican not so long ago. But I'm going to go straight to Old Trafford, if I may, on Friday for the uh, third day of the now washed out third te fourth test between England and Australia. Gutted, gutted it was washed out. Um, I'm, I'm sitting there, and on the big screen, who should come up ringing the bell to signal the start of play? Fantastic honour, but, but your good self. Um, so I'm going to try and bowl a few googlies of my own, if that's okay with you, Andy. <laughs> It was a great honour, actually, though, just to uh, be serious for a minute. You know, I played there as a, a young lad um, to think I'd ever be ringing the bell for the start of playing an Ashes test. Well, I, I couldn't have ever thought that would happen. So it was it was great. Actually. Batsman or bowler? Bowler. Right. Well, I'll sign you up for my celebrity team then, Andy. <laughs> I was a decent player. And I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hold back from that because yeah. I was a much better cricketer than I was a footballer. I played both all my life, but if you I was could better been, cricketer. If you could have been a Test match cricketer or the politician that you are, what would you have done? Oh, cricketer. Cricketer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, yeah. if you could play sport at that level, you would. You know, for me, I would. Mm -hmm. I would swap everything for that. 
Well, you've gone up in my estimation now, Andy. You are a consummate peanut politician. He's got all excited now. Anyway, that was just the intro. So we're going to go to a break. But first, I just want to give our thanks to our production company, What Media, who expertly produce this podcast every single week. They're the kings of video content creation. They turn our weekly ramblings into the hit weekly podcast that is Northern Spin. And on that note, we're going to go to our first interview and a few words from our sponsors, FI Real Estate Management. FI Real Estate Management is not just your traditional property company. Founded in 1982 and managing assets totaling more than 1 billion, FI Real Estate Management pride themselves on going on the journey with their tenants. FI Real Estate Management, the property company with personality just like us, Michael. If you want to join FI Real Estate Management to sponsor the show and reach a growing audience, then please get in touch with Chris or I or our friends at What Media. Well, welcome back, everyone. Now, before we get into um, the details, uh, Andy, I want to ask about the, uh, the deeper Devo deal that you've signed, Devolution. Everyone's talking about it. The idea of devolving power to a single source seems to be gathering pace. It's, it's, it's a momentum that can't be turned, at least you'd think uh, it couldn't. Do you think that the idea of Devo now has found its time and found its place? And do you think that all the parties, including Labour, are fully signed up to it? I certainly think that English devolution is the most um, functional part of British politics right now. The mayors across the big city regions and, and, and here as well have brought through lots of positive changes that otherwise wouldn't have happened. If you look at the Greater Manchester economy, we're growing faster than the UK economy. We have done for the last couple of years and we're predicted to carry on uh, doing so for the next couple of years. So there, there is a real success story here. And you know, I think it's um, finally giving this country more of that sort of bottom-up approach to decision-making that it's long needed. So, Andy, you were first elected mayor in 2017, six years. We discussed this on our podcast on numerous occasions. What would you say your proudest achievements have been as, as mayor, but also what have been your biggest frustrations? So, I'm on frustrations. We can probably talk about it, the clean yeah. air zone. You yeah. know, it's been in the news uh, with what's gone on in the by-elections, the yeah. uh, ultra-low emission zone in London. So, you know, we, we could touch on that because that is a frustrating uh, uh, thing. But... Uh, Big success, I would say, is the change that's coming to public transport. So it's not landed yet, but it, it is actually two months today that the B network goes live. Um, I've taken the decision to put buses under public control and I had to defend that decision uh, from a, a legal challenge. Uh, so it's been a really tough journey, but we're there. You know, we, yeah. We've made it and public transport in Greater Manchester is about to go very yellow. Yeah. And it is going to change uh, in a way that I don't think people can quite kind of see yet, but it will. It will be fundamentally different. It'll be a London-style public transport system. And and that, I think, is going to take a city region that is already doing well and is a great success story. It's just going to take us up to another level. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, but Sunday Times yesterday, talking about Manchester as a centre for business, you got mentioned in dispatches on that one. The fact that businesses like Talk Talk, yep. national global telecoms business, headquartered here in Salford Keys. Um, are there lessons that the Labour Party nationally can take from the relationships that you've built up with the business community? I think the, the lesson is, and, and this was built before my time, by the yeah. way, I've just continued the approach uh, set by you know people before me, yeah. Sir Howard, Sir Richard and others, um, is that long-term approach, number one. So be really clear about where you're going and don't keep you know 
jumping about from here to there because sometimes Westminster politics does that, doesn't it? You know, it's kind of reshuffles and you've got one thing and then all of a sudden it's all changed. I think Greater Manchester has benefited from being just really steady and clear about where we're going uh, and actually not being too political. You know, politics has a place, yeah. but it doesn't and shouldn't dominate everything. And, you know, the point scoring shouldn't dominate everything. It's about being pragmatic, isn't it? And, uh, you know, working with, with people at that kind of level. And that's always been the Greater Manchester way. And it's, it's something I've tried to continue. You speak about transport and the biggest inequality between the North and the South is clearly transport. Last week, five Labour MPs, led by you, launched legal action to prevent the closure of railway station ticket offices across England. Just check your Twitter feed. You've been speaking about it quite recently. Do you honestly think that decision is reversible? I do. I not just honestly think, I'm confident that it is. Because take, take Northern Trains, their own equality impact assessment of the proposal, quite bluntly says that it's going to discriminate against disabled people so fewer disabled people will be able to use the railway on that basis alone it should be it should be stopped um, we are very clear that they haven't used the correct process so in the railways act they're meant to um, take a very careful process to close any part of a train station they, they haven't done it they should have had a 12-week consultation they haven't done it so yeah, to answer your question, Chris, I, I'm confident. And this plays back to something I was just saying to Michael a moment ago. In the past, this kind of thing would just have been imposed by Westminster and it would have just gone through because you know, right near a summer recess, the House, the Parliament rises, consultation's still ongoing, but you know, it, and, and then it, no one there to challenge it or speak out against it, it would have gone through. Yeah. The arrival of the mayors means that things now are getting challenged. Westminster is getting answered back and that's a, a really good thing because I think we're showing that we can bring an extra check and balance to British politics. Yeah, speaking of the, the, the to and fro and the collision course that you're sometimes on with Westminster, which is inevitable. I mean, as you said, the legacy of Howard Bernstein and, and Richard Lease and other leaders in Greater Manchester is, yes, they work together, but occasionally they have to stand up to yep. Westminster as well, which you've never been afraid to do whatever type of jacket you're wearing. <laughs> um, but Gillian Keegan, let's just move on to that. She seemed to deliberately misunderstand what you're trying to do with the Manchester Baccalaureate. See, I thought, and I've said this to you before, I thought you were effectively digging the Tories out of a hole on T-levels, which have not been widely adopted across the country and certainly not got the level of cooperation that you've managed to get with the partnerships with the FE sector, with the Chambers of Commerce, and, and that kind of buy-in from the private sector. And yet in public, all they ever want us to do is diss you. But do you just take that as a rough and tumble of politics? Yeah, I do. And that's how I um, pitched, as you say, uh, to the um, trailblazer process. I mm. said, we'll make T-levels work. Mm. Um, and I still am saying that to the government. And I hope we can move this forward positively. The Secretary of State said something that I do think needs to be challenged. She said, we don't want something different in Manchester than what we've got in Liverpool. Now, if you were talking about the academic route or the university route, well, I would probably agree with that because it's a national system, isn't it? Yeah. And it needs to be clear. But if you're going to say that technical education has to be done exactly the same everywhere. Well, that explains why in this country we've never fixed technical education because by definition, it has to be more devolved yeah. because the labor market here in Greater Manchester is different from the one in the Liverpool city region. So this to me, that thinking explains why as a country, we have obsessed on the university route, failed young people who want a technical 
qualification. And that's what's got to be fixed now at this moment in time. So I hope the Secretary of State will, you know, listen to what we're, what we're saying. This is about uh, a change that I think will um, benefit people in so many, different, so many different ways. But I'm standing for a third term as Mayor of Greater Manchester. And just as transport has been my mission in this term, creating the country's first integrated technical education system would be my mission right. in a third term. I'm right. that serious about it. The Greater Manchester Baccalaureate, the MBAC, to balance the English Baccalaureate and the EBAC, mm. two clear equal routes for kids at 14, one academic, one technical. It's got to be the way to go. And I'm, as I say, determined that Greater Manchester is going to be first. Chris, did you have a question on that? You did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. You sort of preempted it, really, in terms of the point that Gillian Keegan made when it was a soundbite, which is you don't want a different qualification in Liverpool to Manchester. But I think you've answered that. Uh, walking to the podcast today, and for the purpose and the benefit of the listeners and the viewers, we're recording this on Monday. The, Master, the uh, Manchester Metropolitan University must have their graduation day because there's some fantastic pictures of families proudly taking pictures of their loved ones today. And we're blessed with some fantastic universities, um, you know, in this region as well. Um, I didn't go to university. You did. Michael did. Um, one of my daughters goes as well. Rishi Sunak, you know, he, he, he um, spoke about rip-off degrees last year, didn't he? Last, last week. week. Last yeah. week, rather. Uh, do you think there's a problem with rip-off degrees? I think there's a problem. Uh, not in the way that he described it, though, because he tried to create a sort of hierarchy of subjects. You know, this kind of uh, thing that uh, politicians have a habit of doing, which is to sort of minimise the creative subjects. You know, they do that with the English baccalaureate because creative subjects aren't in it. But they did it with degrees. You know, I, I, he was kind of implying that an English degree like the one I had is, is of less value than an engineering degree. I, I, I dispute that. I think um, having control of language is, is, is critical in, any, in anything that you do. And an English degree can be highly valuable. God knows what he makes of my sociology degree. <laughs> well, but, he, but then he was doing a, a reception at Downing Street in the same week as having said this, saying, oh, the creative industries are one of the UK's great strengths. And I, I thought, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> he said that one day, and then he's yeah. praising the creative industries. In a city like this one, where we're all sitting now, where creativity is at the heart of brand Manchester, you know, I would want to be saying to our, our, our six brilliant universities here, you know, keep doing what you're doing and keep promoting those creative courses because they're highly valuable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I like that. Six universities. So my next question was going to be, what do you make of the university sector here in Greater Manchester and what they offer? And I was going to include in that um, challenger institutions like Gary Neville's UA92, UCFB, the University of College of Football Business, BIM, where two of my lads went, and of course the Royal Northern College of Music, creative subjects again. Absolutely. Doing something very different and very much more tailored to this market. Yeah, I think it's a very diverse sector now, isn't mm -hmm. it? Because of uh, what UA92 have brought. You know, I like their offer to students to always have a digital component to their course. I think that is good disruption within the yeah. university sector but as you've mentioned uh, the, the others as well i think they're you know relatable content aren't they for, mm. for young people to, to go back to the point though I, I i'll go some way to what rishi sunat was saying around the kind of the rip-off nature of higher education in that i'm talking about my experience with my two kids two of my kids have been to university now and, and hopefully another one to go i don't think students are getting anything like value for the money that they're putting in. I don't think they're getting treated fairly. Um, and I do think there are big questions to ask about 
the treatment that students receive from universities, and I'm talking more broadly, not, not specifically about Greater Manchester, uh, and the value that they get for, for that investment. Uh, it's not about which courses are good and which courses are bad, which is what the Prime Minister was saying. I'm, I just do observe that, um, you know, mine went to universities outside of Greater Manchester, so this applies to different universities, but I don't think the treatment was good enough. I would agree with 100%. And I think what COVID did is everything went to Zoom and remote and a lot of it stuck. And, you know, they still wanted the same amount of money that they had before. And I've been shocked. As somebody who never went to university, I've been shocked at the way the universities, some universities operate. Um, you mentioned um, Gary Neville's UA92, which uh, not just Gary Neville, but he's the one obviously gets the, um, tends to get the headlines. Um, on this podcast, one of the reasons I'm not a politician is I say things and then I change my mind, which wouldn't negate me being a politician. But people would. But people would. We uh, all do that. But people would, uh, you know, um, you know, kill me on social media. I've interviewed you a number of occasions. I've interviewed Gary Neville a number of occasions. And in one of my moments when I thought you go back down to Westminster, I thought, well, Gary Neville, he's nailed on to be a politician. He is a politician. He's joined the Labour Party as well. well what do you think of Gary Neville? I've got huge respect for him. Um, both as a, uh, a footballer. Uh, I think Gary really um, kind of showed what application can do. You know, if you, I think he would admit himself, he wasn't, you know, the most technically talented uh, footballer, but he, he got where he got to by willpower, application, mentality. And I think he brings that to everything that, that he does. I, I often say that he embodies this, this city that we're in in that it's a place where people um, are encouraged to be entrepreneurial, to go back to that pro-business point. Uh, and Gary certainly is now highly successful in that regard as well, but never walking by on the other side. And obviously we've seen some of the, the things that he's, he's done, the yeah. things he's given back to. And for me, he, he is, if you like, he classically embodies what the greater Manchester spirit is all about. So, Andy, you're uh, writing a book at the moment with Liverpool Mayor Steve Rotherham, you're a good mate, <laughs> entitled Look North, A Rallying Cry for a More Equal Britain, with support, of course, from Liam Thorpe, great journalist from, yep. from the Echo. How's that coming on, and is that going to be troubling our bestsellers listeners? It's hard. Well, I hope so. I yeah. hope it will be uh, it's certainly uh, up there. It's Yeah, it's great, actually. It's been a, a, great, a great process. And I don't know if people realise this, but you know, Steve and I took a very conscious decision in 2016 to leave Westminster together. We had tried to uh, get the voice of the North heard down there in that Westminster system, particularly over the Hillsborough disaster. People may remember, remember that. And we both kind of come to the conclusion that it's just not set up to hear our voice in the way that it hears the voice of London and the Southeast. Mm -hmm. And we, we took a decision to try and build something different outside of Westminster. And, and I'm not sure whether we ever really conveyed that at the time, but we would, right. you know, deliberately have done it together and have stood together on occasions when we've been raising issues. And the book now is a sort of um, is take, you know, really taking this further and saying devolution's reached a point here where it, it is now, um, I think, a, a very serious movement. It is uh, changing our part of the world for the better, but we're kind of saying, if you really want to change this country, and if we really want the North. Uh, to be everything it can be, we're going to have to have some sort of more fundamental rewiring mm. of Britain now to, to really go with yeah. the early success that devolution has had. If you really want it to kind of deliver its full potential, we need to rewire Britain. And that's what the book will say. 
So it's a, a manifesto for Burnhamism. And uh, Rotherhamism, that's a long word there. But, uh, no, I think it's what we're both about, you know, and, and actually it's about these jobs, not us putting manifestos out for any other jobs. You know, we're saying if the Northwest of England is to be everything that we both want it to be, and we are, as you know, hugely passionate about this, we, we can't do it. We've done some things yeah. uh, and we're proud of those things, but, but we can't make it everything it could be mm. without quite fundamental change. Uh, and that's, that's what the book is about. And it's almost about saying, if we put Northern values at the heart of running the country, the country would be better for, mm. for the Southwest as well and yeah. for the East and, and, and all the other areas that get neglected. So one of the things, a bit left field this, but when I did my master's thesis on devolution, I know it's, a, it's not troubling any bestsellers list, but um, I was actively dissuaded by the academics who supervised me from pursuing a theory that I had about you and your politics and what devolution could mean in the regions of England. And, but it actually boiled down to the essence of what I think sits behind yours and Steve Rotherham's politics, which is rooted in Catholic social teaching. Uh -huh. And my argument is you're always at your best when you're at your most Catholic, if uh -huh. you might, don't mind me no, saying. I do know what you're saying. No, um, caring for the poor and downtrodden, yep. the stuff that you did for rough sleepers, Hillsborough, uh, blood, uh, tainted blood yep. victims, um, what you did straight after the arena attack yep. with the, the empathy that you showed for the, for the people who'd suffered in that. Does that run as a current through 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 what you're looking to extrapolate into this a wider piece of work? Well, it's a very perceptive observation, and I, I would say it is true because that's where it began for me. I did read what was then called the Catechism. I don't yeah. think uh, people yeah. do that anymore, but that that was something that was part of my um, my education. Uh, was a, a Catholic uh, education, not overly sort of devout, but it was yeah. um, primary school and, and secondary school. I remember when I arrived in Parliament finally, um, my great mentor uh, and friend who I miss every day was Paul Goggins. Yeah. So Paul was I very much, Paul. very much in that tradition. Yeah. And I remember he kind of, it didn't know him before I got elected, but he kind of sought me out a bit when I, when I arrived. And he, he, he said to me, you know, I think we're a bit similar, you know, we've you know, both, you know, you're, I'm City, you're Everton, but you know, I, I know, you know, I know all about where, where you've come from and everything. And he said, you know, just remember in here, the point of having power is to use it for people who don't have power. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul famously did lots of work on prison reform uh, and on contaminated blood, which you mentioned. Um, and actually, on that particular issue, I made a, a solemn promise to Paul that I would, um, I would do whatever I could to uh, to, to move that issue forward. Um, on the back of what I'd done on Hillsborough. Yeah. And um, thankfully, finally, it is actually after people being in the wilderness for years. So no, you, you, you're absolutely right, Michael. I mean, it, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm lapsed these days. I'm not gonna make any great claim for my, uh, uh, you know, my religious sort of uh, um, duties, but I, I'm not particularly religious like that anymore. But in terms of culturally and from an identity point of view, mm -hmm. then definitely. And Steve? No, uh, Steve. No, I mean I've I've taught him uh, taught him a bit. I uh, uh, yeah, we, we're just the same though. You know, we, we we're kind of coming at things from the same uh, same, same moral character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, on, uh, completely. Um, it's it, yeah. I guess it is. It's a difficult thing to admit in 
the heart of Manchester, but it is a bit of a Liverpool thing. And as you know, yeah. I have a bit of that, a bit of that Liverpool <laughs> blood in me. I think it's, listen, I think it's, I'm a Catholic, you know, I'm a bit like yourself, really. I'm, you know, I grew up a Catholic. I still am a Catholic, but I'm probably slightly lapsed. Fundamentally, I live my life by the idea that if you don't help somebody every day, you yeah. failed in your day, yeah. you know, and yeah. if you do that, you help the world, you know, the world becomes a better place. And somewhere along the line, too many people lose track of that. And um, one of the things we try and do with the Northern Spin podcast, and I should just mention, we are very big in Denmark, you know, so if you want to get your book out to the Danish <laughs> audience, we are the vehicle for that, um, is we try and talk about some current stories, you know. So the big story last week with the by-elections, you know, the uh, Finnish 1-1-1, the Lib Dems overturned a majority of more than 19,000 to win Somerton and Froome. Labour overturned a majority of 20,000 to win Selby and Ainsley. It makes you feel really old when the, the MP, the new MP, is 25. And the Tories retained Uxbridge and uh, South Ryslip by, by just 495 votes. Um, if you were given some insight into those three votes, what, do you, what, what conclusions do you take? That Labour are in a position now where they completely um, look as though they could form a, you know, a strong majority government because the, the Selby result particularly was huge, actually, uh, in terms of the shift uh, in public opinion. Um, but uh, there is a bit always. I think it still says there's just a bit more to be done to really seal that with, with people. Um, so it's really good progress. Um, it's really encouraging. The Uxbridge result was good, to be honest, and we can come back to, to the ULES. The Uxbridge result was pretty amazing, really. I don't think they've ever got that close, certainly not uh, that I can remember no. in recent times. Um, and that itself says that uh, Labour are very close to government. Mm -hmm. The third result, obviously, the anti-Tory feeling is, is quite strong everywhere, including in uh, areas that you know don't traditionally yeah. haven't voted Labour, so I would say you know all of the foundations are laid, but there is a, more to be done uh, to just get that sort of more you know that emotional connection, if yeah. you like, to say right, it's definitely going to definitely going to change. You, you've got to move it from anti-Tory sentiment to more pro-Labour sentiment, and I still think that's yeah. a sort of a, a process that's still underway. Yeah, I want to ask you about caution, actually, because Labour strategy that we've, we've likened to it on this podcast, and others have as well, has been likened to walking across a highly polished floor, not unlike this one, whilst holding a Ming vase. Yet that there's a caution behind a lot of what Labour are saying nationally, where they, to the point where they can't even commit to something uh, as overturning something as egregious as the two-child limit on universal credit. Now, you've been here before with things like the vote on the welfare bill in 2015, yeah. where Labour gets snookered on these issues yeah. from time to time. Is that what you mean when you talk about that sort of purpose of giving people something to vote for and knowing what Labour stands for? I think so. I think you've got to show your instincts, even if you can't commit to every policy and, yeah. and sign up to all of the fun, the funding implications that, that come with it. So, yeah, I think... I think but that... I can understand why there's been caution to this point, but as we go into a pretty much now a year where most people I think would predict a general election around October, November next year. You know, as we're going into that sort of 14, 12 month period, I think just more uh, more of a kind of sense of, of, of what will be the the the, the, um, the guiding priorities of, of, of a, an incoming Labour government. So I think all of it is um, completely doable uh, from from here. Uh, but I, I do think that issue 
does you know more needs to be said you can't just leave it there in my view you know what what will the next labor government do about relieving child poverty it matters massively obviously in a city region like this one where you've got a huge um, number of families in temporary accommodation uh, and that actually is a situation created by the two child uh, rule and the uh, the benefit cap yeah. um, and it's something that nobody really should should feel anything other than really uncomfortable about yeah. so i i think as i say i understand why they can't at this point commit to everything that everyone's asking them to do i i understand that because i've been in i was you know part of labor when we were last in opposition and i remember the discipline around spending that's and that's right but you can still give instinct you, you kind of a yeah. sense of your instincts i can't so, believe, i can't understand why nobody said we would never have brought this in a Labour government would never have introduced something as yeah, awful as this. Because you mentioned that vote in 2015 when it went through mm. Parliament, because um, that's when that uh, two-child rule got adopted. Yeah. In the then uh, Labour leadership contest, you know, I was a contender, as you, as you may know, and I, this does annoy me a bit. I did vote against it via a reasoned amendment, yeah. and I moved the position of the then acting leader in the shadow cabinet who were planning to abstain, and I said, no, 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 we've got to take a position. But because a reasoned amendment wasn't as full-hearted as Standing in fully voting, it, like Jeremy Corbyn did. You know? yeah. But I, I, so we did oppose it at the time, actually. Yeah. Uh, the Labour Party did oppose it in Parliament at the time, and I think we should be yeah. it's the sticking, optics of it, though, sticking it? to that now. Yeah. It is the optics. And I think the thing I would say is, you know, of course you've got to have a regard for where the polls are and what the public say on particular issues and the focus groups. But at the end of the day, what politics has taught me is you still have to be about something. You have mm -hmm. to sort of, it even if it's not always the most wildly popular thing you mm. just have to say well you know this is yeah. what i personally believe in and and i think the public being the great british public that they are give credit for that even if they don't yeah. necessarily agree with everything you're doing they still respect conviction and principle can i come in there because just mindful of time and, and your time uh, as well I, I just want to ask a little bit about you liz we're, we're recording this on monday like i mentioned i've just come back from from greece where the temperatures are 40 degrees um yeah. you know a tourist attractions are closed and then we've had this weekend of rain in the in the UK. We talked about the situation at uh, Uxbridge and Ryslip. It's interesting because some people would say that was a bad vote for Labour, you know, because it was a 7,000 majority and Labour clearly identified that as a seat they could win. They narrowed it down to less than 500 votes. Everything's coming back to you, Liz, which is uh, it's to improve air quality in London. It's relevant, to, you know, for our audience, the Northern Spin audience, because... The background to this is, although it was introduced by, uh, it was agreed by uh, Boris Johnson, it was Sadiq Khan who decided to expand it. So from August, if you've got a polluting vehicle, you could be paying an extra £12.50 a day to go into certain zones as well. But it's relevant to the clean air zones, which you've spoken about at the start as being yeah. your biggest frustration. It, it's, it seems to me that people do seem to be resistant to paying for, paying for measures to address climate change when it hits them in yeah. the pocket. And that must be a massive frustration, particularly given that you've committed this city region to, you know, we have a climate emergency and, and and you committed to net zero by 2035. Yeah, my frustration, though, was more with the government and the way that they, um, I, I would say, quite dishonestly used that, that policy. Mm -hmm. So they had put a legal direction on the 10 councils of Greater Manchester. So it wasn't like, uh, yeah, we just were acting without any, um, uh, any re you know, requirement on us. There was a requirement on us. Don't get me wrong, there was still a decision to be taken here about what would be the right construct, and that was a local a local decision. I mean, the frustration was the government did that, didn't fund it properly, so they didn't put the money up to help people mm. change. And then the minute 
it started to get difficult. They were nowhere to be seen, yeah. and it was. And, and and I just think that was the frustration from from my point of my point of view. I I had realised actually in the middle of twenty twenty one that we were not going to be able to make it work because this was a plan drawn up pre pandemic that landed in a post pandemic world where things had really changed with regard to the cost of vehicles, the the, the kind of waiting time to get a vehicle, yeah, yeah. and truthfully. It would have done what we'd always said it, we didn't want it to do, which was to hit people with taxes and mm. not give them a way of avoiding avoiding them. So I look back at it and think we were actually right to, to pull out at that point and say, no, no, we're not, and we can't do it on this basis. Um, and we're still in something of a standoff. But this gets me to the sort of heart of this issue. And I think this is one that goes beyond clean air zones and uh, ULES uh, proposals. We're going to have to get to a better place as to how we help people make the green transition. I don't think it can be done by big stick, you know, hitting people with taxes, you know, you know, kind of making them change everything that they do. And, you know, I just don't think that it gets you there. It's got to be a carrot incentive approach. Mm. Help people to do the right thing. Don't punish them because they can't do the right thing. That's, I think, the, the thing that we need to, to get to, you know, where you give people, you know, a different public transport system that's cheaper to use, and then they can do that and, and do the right thing. Actually, the B network will do more to clean up the air of Greater Manchester yeah. than any clean air zone would have done. And that was another frustration. It was quite narrowly focused on nitrogen dioxide, but air pollution is, is a bigger issue than that. And the thing that will change it is getting more people onto public transport and out of their And zero cars. emissions buses, of course. Which yeah, and we're bringing them through in great numbers now. You know, yeah. 50 parked up in Wigan as we uh, as we speak. Um, and, you know, more on order for, for Oldham and Rochdale. So, yeah, the B network is going to do a huge amount to clean up the air. Brilliant. Thank you. And on that note, we're going to go to another quick break. businesses I'm involved in is Proactive Progress. Proactive Progress is a monthly meeting of ambitious Northwest businesses who grow through collaboration. Every month I hit my black book. We bring in a big name speaker and share experiences, challenges and opportunities. If you're interested in joining Proactive Progress, contact me. Lots of methods to do that. LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. Or my business partner, Paul Woods. If you want to grow your business, do it through Proactive Progress. two of the northern spin podcast this is the bit where we like to ask the question anything to see here so andy my first question is this jamie driscoll has left the labor party after being excluded from standing for the role of northeast northeast metro mayor over an appearance with film director ken loach you and steve rotherham both very publicly criticized the decision to exclude jamie from that list was this whole row of jamie now leaving the labor party avoidable and is it a case of something is to be seen here for labor well, our criticism was of the process. You yeah. know, I didn't think it was right that a sitting mayor could be taken out without a process of appeal. Um, and he'd have won as well, right? Uh, I mean, Kim McGuinness would have won anyway, I think. Well, I, I would have said, you know, test it in the selection, yeah, yeah. and you yeah. know that that would be always a you know a better way of doing it. So I, I you know, I made uh, made that argument with with Steve. 
Um, and I think it personally, I think it could have been handled differently. Yeah. Um, now, Chris, you you wanted to ask Andy about going back to Westminster. I, I listened to you. I listened to your interviews, and uh, I listened to one. And I thought, because you're a seasoned politician, you know what you're going to say and the impact it's going to have. You did an interview with Times Radio when you're talking about uh, you know your plans to introduce a Manchester baccalaureate, and you, you you came up with some really strongly worded quotes, and you basically said it'd be great if the uh, if if Westminster supported you. Um, you also said that the Labour Party always seemed to be briefing against you and you came out with some positive stuff as well. Now, some people took that as a bit of a dig from you about your relationship with Sir Keir Starmer. What would your take on that be? No, I was very much uh, focusing on those uh, unnamed individuals who give quotes to newspapers. It's that Westminster culture, Chris. And, you know, I fell out of love with Westminster. I mean, I think maybe that, that was obvious, but I really did. And it was that kind of climate where you know you're going about your work and this happened when i was in the shadow cabinet so it's not a new thing but all of a sudden unnamed in the newspapers oh something you know some derogatory comment about your policy or you or and it was so honestly it was like such a deflating sort of world to live in at times and i i honestly i know you kind of you know people endlessly ask me about going back to westminster because they think i'm you know plotting it and you know that's what I'm really focused on. But do you know, it isn't. I love doing what I'm doing here. I've been so energized by being mayor of Great Manchester because I don't have that negative culture that mm. they all live in down in Westminster. And when, it, when that culture intrudes on my life here, I do find, that's why you've got those quotes on Times Radio. I just get, no, I'm sorry, you don't bring your sort of, you know, your, your anonymous briefing to, to our world. We're doing positive mm. things here. You know, stick to what we're doing. Don't just put this sort of poison out there. But if Keir Starmer phoned you up the day after Labour win the general election, if they do, as seems likely, and he said, hi, it's Keir Starmer here. I don't do impressions, not like my colleague across the table. Um, he's probably just as well. I'm not sure about his, yeah. but there we are. <laughs> I don't know who his are sometimes, yeah. but he does a very good Tyson Fury one. Um, but if he said, uh, hey, Andy, do you fancy watching Everton get beat 5-0 by Arsenal at the weekend? And by the way, you know, fancy coming back to Westminster. What would you say to him? And, and have you got that relationship with him? What well, what I would say is, um, Keir, I can do more for a Labour government from here because I think any government, if they are to make a success of things in their first term, needs to get on with delivery straight away. And the combined authorities of England now, which are quite mature and quite established, could get on and make changes really quickly f for a Labour government. For instance, building council housing or let's call it future council housing, net zero homes for social rent. We could do that and we could have them built in a first term. We could do a lot more to expand the B network very quickly. We could, um, we, we could do uh, what needs to be done with regard to rail when uh, that gets brought into public ownership, which is a Labour commitment. That will need to be localised as well and brought into integrated transport. So there's so much actually of more value that can be done from here. And the problem with your question, Chris, is if we always have in our minds that Westminster is, at the end of the day, the only show in town, which is kind of implicit in the question, I don't think we'll ever change this country in the way that it needs to change. We are the most over-centralised country politically in the OECD. We're trying to run everything from one postcode in London. And that, that has created the North-South divide. That has failed. And what we're on with here, myself and Steve and Tracy and West Yorkshire and others, is building the fix to that, the kind of antidote to that 
London-centric way of running politics. And I, that's what I would say. I can, we can do more from where we are, but back us where we are so that we can get on and deliver for your government. But you didn't mention whether you'd go and watch Everton get beat 5-0 <laughs> by Arsenal. I've seen that it's happen that. many times, actually. <laughs> and we never get a result there. I, I don't know why, but it's a bogey ground for us. So, Andy, in, this is a section of the podcast that we often call On Manoeuvres, and your name does come up from time to time. That must massively frustrate you, doesn't it? Well, it does. For all the reasons you've just outlined. Yeah, you know, it's that thing, isn't it? Of, you, know, you go out there and you do something positive and, you know, what are they called? The Kremlinologists in Westminster kind of try and put another interpretation yeah. onto everything falsely, but mm. that's what they do. And it, it, it has honestly been a bit of a frustration in, the, in, this, mm. in this job. I've tried to answer the question honestly when people ask me, am I going back to, to Westminster? And, and the answer I've always given is maybe one day but I'm not finished here and yeah. that is a truthful answer but the thing is this is the funny thing about down there isn't it because they don't deal in those type of answers they will constantly take that and you know put mm. some other interpretation onto it but I, when I left I, I took a real kind of self-denying ordinance just to, as my wife used to text me when I've been on a media interview in capital letters answer the F <laughs> question because I, th I think that just frustrates people to hell, doesn't it, when yeah. they, they hear politicians give interviews. When I left, it meant I didn't have to have a line to take given to me by mm. a whip or whatever. Or you didn't have to vote a certain way. The power of devolution is you free up politicians to be themselves, to speak in their own voice. And that connects with the public. Surprise, surprise. So I've always had a, an approach to this job where I, I try my best to answer the question honestly. But when you do that, Westminster <laughs> doesn't know what to make of it and they try and put yeah. other spin on it. So I just think there's a clash of two worlds here, yeah. isn't there? There's, this is a bit of a new world that's being created that's operating mm. to different mm. kind of rules. And the old Westminster world can't really deal with it. I, I still think yeah. at the moment they, they haven't got used to devolution. They don't like, I'm not talking just the party, I'm talking about the system down there. It doesn't like it when we answer them back as we did in the pandemic. I hope, I hope Westminster, we're mindful of time, I hope Westminster listen to this podcast and listen to you answer the questions as well because I think they could all learn a lot from that. We're going to go to a quick break before we come back to the final uh, part of the Northern Spin podcast. vibrant media sits at the heart of any community and the business community is no different so if you're in business then the businessdesk.com is for you we're up with the lark every morning to bring you the day's business news we have regular events credible news and lots and lots of other events to bring people in the business community together so log on now the businessdesk.com for all your regional news three of the Northern Spin podcast with our special third member of the pod this week, none other than the Greater Manchester Mayor himself, Andy Burnham. So Andy, this is the fun bit. But I know you want to talk I know about you're something. That, but no, it's, it is. That's where I get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it is. No, it's it's where we try and get Chris, who is originally from Kent, but he's a pro proper adopted Northern. I think we've taken him on board now. Is he more 
northern than southern these days, or do you still I've been work? up here about 18 years. Is it still a work in progress? Well, you live in Chorley, don't you? And live in Chorley. a member of your community. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, do you absolutely. prefer the north? Here's, I'm going to ask him. Can I get, ask him Gosh, a question? Yeah. yeah. Do you prefer the north of England or the south of England? You know what, actually? I prefer the answer north. Answer the question. <laughs> These politicians answer <laughs> I prefer the north, and the reason is that they're genuine. They are genuine. I mean, look, you can't have a, say, everyone in the south, you know, isn't very nice, and everyone in the north is lovely, because clearly that doesn't work. Um, but what I would say, in the north, people are really genuine. And they've taken me into their heart. I'm not going to lose my accent. And that's what he picks me up on as well. But I was there on Friday at Old Trafford because I'm a massive cricket fan. I still play. Yeah. I was in a party stand. Yeah, were you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, wasn't dressed, uh, I wasn't dressed as the I guy in front of me. The, the guy in front of me had a cricket hat on and he had yeah. about 15 pints in. And I was next to <laughs> load of Australians. I loved it. 28,000 people great, there. It, it was you know, great. There's so much talk about trying to get equality in cricket, which I'm passionate about as well, yeah. on so many different levels. And then they announced that the next test match, the Aussie, the next, the next Ashes test match in the north, we're not just talking Old Trafford, we're talking Headingley, the earliest will be, you know, eight years from now, because obviously they only come about every yeah. four years. The next Ashes series, all the, the, the most northerly ground is going to be Trent Bridge in Nottingham as well. You've written to the ECB about it. I don't know if you were to change it, but we've got to, got to, got to spread this cricket around. I, I went out there and gave it the big one yeah, on, did, on yeah. Friday yeah. and I went on Test Match Special, which was also an honour as well as ringing the bell. So I got to appear on Test Match Special uh, and then it, uh, it hammered down for two days. So my <laughs> argument was somewhat <laughs> undermined by the unreliable uh, weather. Uh, but but I think there's actually a lot of analysis, isn't there? That we're not. I know we say we're all rainy and everything, but it's actually not that different. And think back, Chris. To I mean, you you, you both will know this. Some of the history with Ashes cricket at Old Trafford. Mm -hmm. Shane Warne's first ball that you know took out uh, Michael Mike uh, Gatting's top of his off stump, having bit pitched well outside leg. You know, think of. Jim Laker, you'll be too too no, no, I'm, young I'm to a, know this, but 19 wickets. Oh, he'll, he'll know. Bothams Ashes, 81. I, I appeared on a quiz show called Sports Analytic of the Year, answering questions on the Ashes from 1971 to 1991. Um, I finished runner-up to a West Ham fan. So when it comes to Anorak questions about cricket, <laughs> I am the person to speak to. Um, but it's just such a shame. It, it's such a shame from the weather point of view, but also we have to spread the love. It can't just be about you know, the, the overall oh, Lords. Well, 100%. I mean, they've just had a, a report, haven't they, into uh, the impact of, of class in cricket still. Mm. And the, the truth it doesn't is, help, does it? No, if you then follow that up by saying, and by the way, there's no test in the north of England. I mean, no Ashes test. I mean, you're kind of looking like you've not really read that report, yeah. aren't you, and, and taken it on board. There was a brilliant atmosphere, wasn't there, at Old yeah. Trafford on Friday, as there always is at Headingley. The northern tests bring something different. To, to Ashes series, but also to, to any test series, to be honest. And, and they should be really embracing what we're about rather than sort of freezing us out. So whether or not bad weather, mm. you know, I, I think, you know, they, they do need to rethink that decision. Yeah. So good stuff. We've had another Manchester International Festival as well recently. We uh, you've been all over the world banging the drum for Manchester and Manchester culture, including to Austin, Texas. So do you think there's any possibility that we could have something comparable to South by Southwest here in Manchester? At some I point? mean, just to say, I mean, Beyond the music, does life be great, get started. better than introducing new order from the stage in Austin at South <laughs> no, you're by making Southwest? Me that was, now. Yeah. That was uh, a, a big, a big uh, new moment order. as mayor of Greater Manchester. New Order, New Order. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're showing your Southern uh, side again yeah. here, Chris. Um, yeah, I think it is possible because... It's actually well documented that South by Southwest took inspiration from In the City, which was a, yeah. a Tony Wilson 
uh, conference that ran in the early 2000s. Uh, you might remember it. Uh, so now Tony's son, Ollie yep. Wilson, is bringing a big music conference back to Manchester yep. um, beyond the music. And I, I better not sort of um, blow some of his sort of announcements because, you know, I think, but there is talk going on with South by Southwest in terms of what involvement they may they may have. So beyond the music is, is the answer, uh, Michael. And it is going to be different because it's going to be a parliament for music. It's going to be a sort of cooperatively owned event uh, and it's going to be about getting all voices in the industry coming forward. So it will bring yeah. something different. Yeah, it has been rumoured that uh, the businessess.com will be hosting a session on the music industry at that event. So, Excellent. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you probably started that rumour yourself, Michael, on this podcast. No, no, we're, we're fully fully in support of what Ollie's doing. I agree 100%. And he's a massive fan, uh, a massive fan uh, as well of Mr. Wilson. Um, we, we normally end this podcast by discussing books or podcasts that we've read and listened to. I've just read Brian Horton's Autobiography, 2000 Games. Um, are you reading any books at the moment or listening to any podcasts you want to share with our listeners and viewers? I know this sounds like really stereotypical. As, as Northern Spin. I listen to Northern Spin. Is I've re been rereading The Road to Wigan Pier um, right. by George Orwell. Because right. uh, it was partly because of the book we're writing, Steve yeah. and I are writing, but it, it is alarming how much of what he describes is still kind of fundamentally there. The poor housing of the North and... You know, I know you were after something light and holiday reading, but the no, road to Wigan Pier is. Uh, if you're doing a book about the north of England and about the need for change, then you you would you would. I, I advise anybody if you're interested in those things to go back and pick that up yeah. and just work out how little has changed since the 1930s. What about Stuart McConey stuff? Have you been looking back at any? Always of that? read. Oh yeah, I love Stuart stuff. Pies and Prejudice was a was a firm yeah. a firm favourite of mine, and um, I remember um, kind of picking up the the theme from Stuart's book about how Liverpool and Manchester handled the American Civil War very differently, yeah. uh, uh, which was a, a revelation that I, yeah, I, indeed, I took from that. Indeed. Well, I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, The North Will Rise Again by Alex Niven. Yeah, it was a, great book. It is. Uh, it features you in the beginning of That's it. Why it mythologizes it. Your, uh, your choice of attire when you took on the government in October of the pandemic. Um, and that's in the People's History Museum now, that jacket, can you yes. believe? Yeah, it's fantastic. I know, I'm, I know. I never thought I'd have it. <laughs> I still can't get my head no, around that, to be honest. Yeah, good. Um, Chris, we want to talk about women's football, because your daughter, Imogen, plays in goal for Derby County. Yeah, so Brilliant. I'm watching, yeah, she's, uh, she's 20, so, um, you know, a lot of travelling, but she loves it. She's a, uh, so we're watching the Women's World Cup, currently being in Australia and New Zealand, where, incidentally, it's not stopped raining. Um, <laughs> you cannot buy... Uh, a, a shirt of England goalkeeper Mary Earps. Man United's number one, outstanding in Saturday's win against Haiti. Um, and the reason you can't buy a shirt is because Nike, their commercial strategy is not to produce goalkeeper shirts. Now, you know, Mary Earps, she's named the best FIFA women's goalkeeper but, for 2022. Well, hang on, Chris, you can buy a Pickford shirt. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. You know, Mary Earps has been working behind the scenes for a long time since she became the number one goalkeeper in the world. Um, she said to people that she will try and help out so they can get a Mary Earp shirt. You know, you cannot get a Mary Earp shirt because Nike won't produce it. It's an absolute disgrace. Well, Is it something you can sort out, Andy? Well, the mayor of Greater Manchester is going to deliver a, a, a very much a, a firm diktat to, uh, to Nike via the Northern Spin podcast, which is Nike, sort it out now. I mean, really, they you should Just not let <laughs> the Women's World Cup uh, end before this, this is sorted out. You know, Mary is a fantastic role model ambassador for the women and girls game a brilliant character you know i've seen her speak at events she's amazing um so many 
girls and young women in Greater Manchester will, will look up to her because of obviously who she plays for. How on earth they can justify this decision, I, I have no idea. And Nike, you just need to get it sorted. And I think that's a, the, the unanimous view of the Northern Spin podcast. Today. Absolutely, 100%. That finally, Andy, you've been an outspoken supporter of fans' rights. You spoke at the European Fans Forum here in Manchester quite recently. We saw from the disgraceful way that fans were treated at the last two Champions League finals, both in Istanbul and in Paris last year, that the struggle to look after fans and their welfare is never ending. Prices are absolutely soaring right across football as well. I don't know if your season ticket at Everton's gone up, but certainly ours at Blackburn Rovers have. There was even a rebellion in Stockport when County tried to put the prices up over the summer. Football always seems to be in danger of eating itself, doesn't it? And how can politicians like you try to keep them honest, get them back on an even keel? It does, uh, although I think um, Premier League clubs are better these days at, at involving uh, supporters. I'm uh, not perfect, but gen generally better. How can politicians sort it out? Well, there is an independent regulator mm. coming, and I very much hope that there's cross-party support for that because I think it is, it is definitely needed. I think more challenge, though, needs to go in the direction of UEFA. It is, frankly, a disgrace that they had uh, terrible scenes in Paris for the Champions League yep. final in, in 2022, uh, where, honestly, from what I heard about that, it, it was a miracle, really, that there wasn't more, yeah. more, more serious, uh, serious consequences, although they were serious from what happened. It is just unbelievable that they sent Manchester City supporters into a, an environment without basic arrangements. Um, and I've heard from many City fans since they came back from Istanbul, obviously elated with what happened, but terrible stories about how people have been treated um, and the just lack of organization uh, out there. It's, it's honestly like the UEFA just really don't care, do they? Mm -hmm. they? They pick these grounds for political reasons. They don't follow up on the organization. And I think we really do need to, to, to hold them to mm -hmm. account because this can't, I mean, it, to have it two years running, it shows that they have not, they're not fulfilling their duty of care to yeah. football supporters. And um, did you mention any of this when you, did you meet anyone from UEFA when they came up to that I did, forum? and I, yeah. I said exactly what I've just said in my speech yeah. and yeah. some of them came over to me at the end and, you know, um, we, we had a bit of a chat about it. Um, but I noticed that um, the, uh, the head of UEFA came in and out of Manchester very quickly and yeah. didn't really do any interviews or anything. So I think UEFA owe Manchester City supporters uh, a very fulsome apology yeah. and they should also reimburse people who were left seriously out of pocket by, by their poor organisation. Fantastic. Any more questions, Chris? No, no, no. Well, we could have another one, but uh, time's against us. But uh... Will Everton stay up this year? That's one, <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, I think you should do. You will with the manager you've got now, for sure. But I don't think you're going to be playing. I don't think you'll be the first game on the match of the day. Uh, <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Will well, City we, win the league? I think. I, I think City will. City are just an unbelievable team at the moment. But, yeah. you know, Newcastle are throwing huge, huge yeah. amounts at football. I think United are quietly on the way back as well. I think they'll have a good year. I think they'll have a good Basically, year. all Northern teams, you know, all Northern teams. We've not mentioned Arsenal. We've not mentioned anyone from the South. Well, well Burnley and Sheffield United are going to get relegated, I think. Oh, I know Vincent will do a good job oh, at Burnley. I don't uh, want to hear it. Oh, right. I, I, well, you're going to have to hear it. You know, put your, uh, your biased uh, worst Blackburn okay, no, views to one side. No, I think Burnley, Vincent, you know, just let me say this really quickly. 
I've had the privilege of working with some amazing people in the city region since I was elected, but Vincent Company, yeah. it, really right up there. You know, amazing what he did in dedicating his testimonial year to homelessness. But you know, we went to a homeless shelter in Hardwick three days after he scored that goal against Leicester and two days before they were going to Brighton to, to win the league. And he rang me up a couple of months ago, says, can we go back? It's five years. I want to go back and see where they're up to and what's going on. I mean, that is the, the, the mark of the man. And even as a Blackburn Rovers supporter, surely you've got to recognise that Vincent Company is a fine individual. I recognise that Vincent Company did amazing things for homelessness in Manchester City. <laughs> that's as much as we're going to get, I'm afraid, Andy, because that's because he's so one-eyed about this. Wow, Michael. Wow, Chris. How do you, <laughs> how do you find that? You know what? I had expectations of what that conversation would go like. And I think he exceeded every single one of them. Yeah, same. I have you down as being the fully paid up member of the Andy Burnham fan club. And I am now applying to join that club. Ah, well, then, you know, to be fair, I have my doubts. I think he, he assuaged a few of them where I think he's always got his eye on the prize. I think he answered that question about the return to Westminster. Fair play to you. You delivered it. Absolutely. Well, are you or not? And he's going to see out his third term. Yeah, and, and my interpretation of that would be that he's committed to a third term. And if he wins that, which clearly he will, I think after that, he's not ruled out Westminster, which I think actually would be a natural next step. Um, but he's so excited. And, and the point that he made, there was a comment. If I was to take one comment, I said to him, what would you say to Keir Starmer if he phoned you up and asked you to join his team? And he said, Keir, I think I can do more for you mm here as the mayor of Greater Manchester, and he meant it. That's yeah. how I interpreted that. Yeah, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's achieving here for the people of Greater Manchester, stuff like, you know, the buses, the, the one pass for, for young kids and stuff like that. The, obviously, he's very... He's, he's at his best when he's at his most passionate, and he clearly was really lit up when he was talking about the uh, technical education. Um, he related his own experiences about university education which you'll have had as a parent for your daughter at college as well. And, um, you know, my experiences chime with that again with our lads. It's a lot of money. It's a big chunk of change is nine grand a year plus and all the living costs on top. Does it deliver great value? No, no. And the thing is, is that what I'm not used to is a politician giving a straight answer to a straight question. You came up with a really left field question and I thought to myself, because we're talking a bit about cricket, so I thought it'll play out with a straight bat. You asked him that is fundamentally what drives him his Catholic values of doing the right thing. And he came up with just a brilliant response. Mm. Yeah, his familiarisation with the catechism is, you know, we, we could do an entirely new, another podcast for another hour about his visit to meet Pope Francis and all the rest of it, but that's not what we were here to talk about. Um, but I asked him a question about Gary Neville. Yeah. And I said, what do you think about Gary Neville? Did you think he was going to diss him? No, I didn't think he was going to diss him. See, Gary Neville is a bit of a Marmite character. You love him when you hate him. What I would say is that if you cut him open, he bleeds Manchester and he's passionate about doing the right thing. Whether you like him or not, I, 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 I like him. I've got a huge amount of respect for him as well. Now, clearly, um, Andy Burnham's got to get on with Gary Neville because they work and they operate in the same city. But he used an analogy, which I love. And he said, the thing about... Gary Neville, what drives him is that he sees inequality and he steps in and does something about it and he won't walk on by and, and uh, you know, and do nothing. And I just thought that was quite a powerful image as well. Um, but it, I just hope, because we asked about Westminster and I asked him a question about, 
you know, the forces that are at play and the backstabbing and the... That really annoyed him, didn't it? it not not your question, no. but I meant you got to, I think you got to the root about what it is that really got under his skin and why he said what he did about the whispers in the corners and the, the briefings from anonymous people. That really gets his goat. And it seems to be counter to how he wants to, to operate. He's... You're a very straight up guy. Which was the reason why him and Steve Rotherham decided in 2016, I think it was, to yeah. leave Westminster. Um, but he, what was impressive about him, and I've always felt that he works really well, Andy Burnham, in an audience. He relates to people. People find him likable. It, it would be difficult not to like anything about him. If I was to throw a hand grenade in there and say, was there anything in there that, in terms of Keir Starmer, should take note of, and also Rishi Sunak? Because... This wasn't a political interview, was it? It wasn't. This wasn't the Tories are awful, you know, everything is Labour, mm -hmm. everything's rosy in the in, in Keir Starmer's garden because he said that there's things that Starmer and Labour have got to do to ram their message home and the advantage that they've currently got. Yeah, I think what was interesting was when we were discussing the MBAC, the Manchester Baccalaureate, um, I threw at him that Gillian Keegan had tried to, you know, kind of make it and politicise it. And he just kind of went, yeah, it's all part of the game, really. I think in private, they probably had much more constructive discussions than than maybe her intervention would suggest. I asked him about the three by-election results. And there was one thing that he said, which I disagreed with. So obviously he said Labour had a great result in North Yorkshire, yeah. in Selby. Which and they did. Yeah, and then Lib Dems, obviously, tactical voting had a big part to play in Summerton and Froome when they overturned that majority as well. And that in Uxbridge and Ryslip, Boris Johnson's old constituency, um, he described it as a good vote for the Conservative, a uh, good vote for Labour. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, well, was it a good vote for Labour? Well, they didn't win. They didn't win, but they narrowed the majority from 7,000 to less than 500. But he seemed to preempt the ULES question as well, didn't he? And he, when you asked him what his biggest frustration was during his time as Mayor of Greater Manchester... Yeah, yeah, it was Clare's. Yeah, it Not was. It was the... It? Clean air zone. Cask. Yeah, the clean air yeah. zone. Yeah. I'm glad, he, I'm glad he fronted that one out anyway, because I do think that was a, a mess. Yeah, a yeah. real mess. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I say, I think the thing is, what I hope, and I said this, is that I hope, you know, because obviously we are very big in Denmark, but I hope the people, the mandarins in Westminster listen to that and say, actually, why is, why is his personal popularity so high? Why is he the king of the north? Why has he got a reputation for getting things done? And I think it comes through in that 50-minute interview that he did with us. And that is the thing that I take out of this interview today. Yeah, no, good. So this has been the Northern Spin Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've had a special guest today. It's been great, hasn't it? Super. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all for episode 10 of season four. In fact, it's everything for season four, isn't it? Yeah, well, we're back and, in Ending on a high note. We will be back once we sort some sponsorship out. Yeah. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, but we're on Apple, Apple Podcasts. Please review us. Don't forget to press the subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter at Northern underscore Spin One or watch us on YouTube. Thank you to What Media for recording this podcast and our sponsors, FI Real Estate Management. Special mention to Elliot Taylor for providing the music. My name is Michael Taylor. And my name is Chris McGuire. <laughs> <laughs>